Thanks, Chris. Hopefully you've got um, your Bible app open or your uh, church Bible in front of it. It'd be really helpful. It's just such an incredible passage. So it'd be really helpful to have it there in front of us as we go through it this morning. I think that people who know me even vaguely well will know that I'm a pretty excitable person. I get really excited about really small things. Uh, and I'm also an extrovert as well. And so I love telling people all the exciting things uh, that are going on in my life or around me. Um, I'd been waiting for about nine months for John to propose to me, okay? Uh, and it got to the point where I said, well, I remember that I said, John says I never actually verbalized it, I was just thinking it in my head, but I believe that I said to him that unless he proposed by the end of August, that was it. I couldn't hang around forever. I had more uh, exciting things ahead of me that I could be doing. But anyway, you'll be relieved to know that on the 5th of August, uh, 2001, in the most wonderful fashion, John proposed to me at last. I've been waiting for all this time. But unfortunately... Um, we were in a location where I had no phone reception for three whole days. So for Mrs. Excitable Extrovert External Processing, uh, Libby Thompson, as I was then called, I had no means to share this exciting, wonderful news with all the people that I wanted to tell for three whole days. It was absolute agony, I'll tell you. Anyway, we have here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, a window into the prayer life of Paul. And here is a man who is experiencing and seeing and living out the incredible power of God in his life and in the people around him on a daily basis. And as he shares this prayer uh, that we just heard read by Chris there uh, to the Ephesian Christians, we get a sense of how much he longs for them to know what he knows of the transforming power of God. And his excitement is almost bubbling over in this passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so Paul begins with thanksgiving. We find in verses 15 to 16 these words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love... For all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, faith and love, two of the three qualities uh, alongside hope, the third, faith, hope and love, which Paul identifies time and again in his letters through the New Testament as practical evidence of the power of God's, God in people's lives as they live out their faith in him. Faith, hope and love. I wonder what we're known for as individuals or as a church. Are we as a church here at P's and G's, uh, known as the church with the fancy glass entrance that goes out onto York Place? Are we known for our quality of our coffee? Are we known for something that happened here in this church or maybe in our lives a few years ago? Or are we known for the love that we demonstrate practically to people? Are we known for our faith that makes us do things differently, live differently? And so Paul give thanks, gives thanks for the Ephesians' faith in Jesus and then their love for other, others as well. But he goes on to tell them in verses 17 and 18 
that they, he longs for them to have wisdom and revelation so that they would know him better. Wisdom and revelation so they would know him better. And then verse 18, he prays that they would know the hope to which he has called you. Now, we often think um, that simply having faith in Jesus is the most important thing. It is really, really important, okay? Uh, but we often think it is the most important thing. But we cannot have faith without knowledge. Otherwise, what is our faith based on? Faith without knowledge is a bit like uh, building a house without foundations that easily falls down. Or um, a few uh, months ago, we were putting up a, a mirror in our hallway and we put one little hook in the wall. And funnily enough, about three days later, in the middle of the night, there was this huge crash and we thought, oh my goodness, what is happening? And the mirror had just fallen off the wall. We hadn't put a strong enough hook in that wall to hold up the mirror. Without the foundations, it falls down. Without knowledge, our faith can fall down too. And we're not talking here about knowledge for knowledge's sake, uh, a bit like gaining academic understanding of God or the Bible, which is all up here in your head. But it's about knowing God, a deep knowledge, a deep knowing, that sort of knowing that you might have with a friend or a partner, which comes from our experience and our understanding of them as a person. This sort of deep knowledge of someone is sometimes seen in a married couple who've been married for years and years and years and just know each other. You just know what they're like. You know the things they enjoy and the things they don't. You know how they're feeling. You know what makes them tick. And this is the sort of knowledge which allows us, us to put our utter faith in the other person. This sort of knowledge of God allows ourselves to give ourselves to God completely in faith. John Stott, uh, the theologian, puts it like this. Knowledge is the ladder by which faith climbs higher, the springboard from which it leaps taller. And so we need to keep growing in our knowledge of God. And we can do this by practicing spiritual disciplines. Uh, they're not very trendy in the world. It's not like, oh, let's go and practice some spiritual disciplines. You know, it's not cool. It's not down with the kids. It's not millennial or whatever. But actually nothing beats reading the Bible and spending time with God in prayer in helping us get to get to know God better. And this can be done in so many different ways as well. Whatever our personality or our time constraints or our lifestyle we can fit God into our lives. We can fit spending time reading the Bible into our lives, spending time with him in prayer. And if you're struggling to get to know God better, uh, how about finding a mentor? We have a whole mentoring uh, program in this church, people who can walk alongside you and help you to, to find a way which works for you uh, to get to know God better. Or perhaps join a connect group and share life uh, with other people around you and grow as a disciple and in your knowledge of God in that way. The Ephesians Christians' knowledge and experience of God is the foundation for being able to push into the transforming power of God, which Paul begins to speak about in a moment. And then we get to verse 18. And Paul uh, says these incredible words, prays this incredible thing for the Ephesian Christians. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened, may be enlightened. 
Paul is praying that these Ephesian Christians may have their spiritual eyes opened to what God is doing in their lives and in the world that they're living in. That they would see the fullness of God's blessing which is open to them. Paul is saying to them, look, don't miss out. Open your eyes to what God is doing, what God continues to do. And maybe that is a wake-up call for some of us here this morning. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe the going's tough at the moment for whatever reason, or maybe you're just feeling a bit apathetic at the start of 2017 about your relationship with God. You're just going through the motions. Do we need to pray that the eyes of our hearts will be opened to what God is doing, what God can do for the love that God has for you today? And so Paul goes on to pray in verses 18 and 19 that the Ephesians' eyes, the eyes of their heart, will be open to three things. Firstly, the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, the riches of his glorious inheritance. And thirdly, the incredible power of God available to all who believe. And so we're just going to spend a few minutes unpacking those three things And maybe as we do this, just be praying, God, you know, what is it that you want to challenge me on this morning? You know, maybe you're going to feel God nudge you uh, over the next few minutes. So firstly, the hope, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart will be opened to the hope to which he has called you, the hope of our calling. So again, Paul is taking us back here to the importance of knowledge. This time, knowing the hope to which we are called. If you've, you are a Christian here this morning and you've responded to, to Jesus' call on your life to follow him, he has called us as a church, as a body, as individuals to live in that hope to which he has called us. And this is the hope to which we're called. Do we know this? Do we live in the light of the hope that we have in Jesus, that we belong to Christ? Romans 8 verses 9 and 10 tells us that we belong to Christ. Yes, we belong to our families, we belong to our friends, we belong to each other here in this church. But first and foremost, you and I belong to Jesus. Isn't that a gift of hope to this world where people are seeking an identity, are seeking belonging, that we can belong to Christ and that gives us hope. Secondly, we've been made holy through Jesus and we can read about that in Romans 1 verse 7 and all over the place. We have a hope because ultimately we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But because we are in Christ, because of the cross of Christ, because we're forgiven, because we're made clean. It's like Jesus took the rags of our sinfulness and gave us a cloak of his glory and his righteousness and his holiness so that we can come freely into the presence of God. Do we have the hope of our calling that we've been made holy? Do we have the hope that we're free in Christ? Do we we have the hope that we are part of the body of Christ here? Uh, Read about that in 1 Corinthians and, and Romans 12. Whoever we are, we all have a part to play in the body of Christ. This is the hope of our calling. And secondly, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts will be open to the glorious inheritance that we have in Jesus, the riches of our glorious inheritance. 
I was reading fairly recently about these two chaps. You might have read about them as well. They were all over the internet uh, when this happened. Uh, but they are Jolt and Giza Pallardi. Uh, and they were living, they were homeless men living in a cave outside Budapest in Hungary. And a few years ago, they were contacted uh, by lawyers to say that their grandmother, who they were estranged from, had died and they'd inherited some money. So they were obviously delighted. And they discovered that they'd actually inherited more than 100 million euros each. Um, their lives were completely transformed by the inheritance that they'd received. Now, I've, I've come to the terms uh, with the fact that I'm not going to receive any inheritance from my mother uh, because she is intent on spending every penny she, before she dies going on cruises around the world. I'm delighted for her as well. But, you know, you can weep with me that I'll get no inheritance. But our inheritance... Uh, as disciples of Jesus, it's not about money, it's not about houses, it's not even about land, but it's a place in his eternal kingdom. We have ultimate hope because all of us who are in Christ are promised a new life in him, a share in his kingdom now and in the future as well. And we can have this hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Ultimately, Jesus has dethroned death. Jesus has dethroned death. And maybe you know somebody who has lived their life and has died in the riches of the inheritance that they know they have in Christ Jesus. And that has had a profound effect on you. I met Jane in the summer of 2000. Uh, and Jane was married to Chris and they had two lovely little boys. Uh, and I was really welcomed into their family. I, I soon discovered that Jane had been married before uh, to another man who had died of AIDS having uh, had a blood transfusion uh, and the blood was infected with HIV. A couple of weeks after John and I uh, were married, we found out that Jane had been diagnosed with an extremely f rare form of cancer. She had a tumour when they discovered uh, the cancer that was already wrapped around her heart and her lungs. And the specialists at the Royal Marsden Hospital in London uh, had only ever seen this form of cancer once before. And they told uh, her that there was no specialist treatment for the cancer, but of course they would give her whatever treatment that they could. But to be frank, they only expected her to live for around six months from her diagnosis. And John and I were shocked and were gutted for our friends. Uh, but at the same time, we were also astounded because both Jane and Chris seemed pretty upbeat about the prognosis. Over the next two years, uh, Jane continued to astound doctors uh, as she responded to one treatment after the other and her tumour would recede and then it would start to grow again. But perhaps the biggest impact of those two years were not on the doctors that were astounded at her progress, but on all the people that came into contact with her, like myself. I remember a number of times being in her house, just chatting fairly normally uh, with her about life, and the conversation would turn to her cancer. She wasn't afraid to speak of it. And when I asked her how she could be so positive and how she was coping with it on a day-to-day -day basis, without fail, she would say it was because of her faith in Jesus and the hope that she had because of that faith. She knew and would tell anyone, and absolutely anyone who asked her, that Jesus did have the power to heal, she believed that, but would say quite happily that maybe it was her time to go and be with her father in heaven. And she was fine with that as well. 
And the last time I saw her, we talked about how she knew God still had the power to heal her. But she also talked readily about her funeral and the songs that she wanted in her funeral and also about the letters that she'd been writing to her two little boys for later on in their lives. She put her trust fully in God for her present and for her future. And Jane continued to thank God every day that she had with her family. She saw every day as an opportunity to let people know of the glorious inheritance that she had received and was living in, in Christ Jesus. And she made a huge impact on everybody uh, who met her. Other moms at the school gates, her family, her friends, her two little boys. And I've never met anybody with such an unwavering faith in the inheritance she had received in Christ Jesus. And Jane fittingly died on Easter Monday, 2004. She was able to live her life and face her death with that sort of hope and faith because the eyes of her heart had been opened to the glorious inheritance that she had in Christ Jesus for her present and for her future. And the eyes of her heart was also opened to our third point, to the power of God available to all of us. Paul is at pains to remind these Ephesian Christians uh, that the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to them and to us today. Now, this whole issue of power uh, was really significant to the Ephesians uh, at that time because of the power dynamics that they were living with uh, and were being affected by on a daily basis. Uh, It was all pretty feisty at that time in Ephesus. Uh, The political powers of Rome were breathing down the necks of the Ephesian people. And at the same time, a whole load of occultic religious rituals and practices uh, springing from the temple of Artemis, uh, which dominated Ephesus at that time, were also having incredible power over the Ephesian people. So for these Ephesian Christians feeling threatened from every side by these uh, competing powers and forces, to be reminded that they had access through Jesus to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and about every title that, that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come, was pretty liberating for them. Jesus is bigger and more powerful than any dominant force. And for us today, we need to remember that this power of God is not like some genie in a bottle uh, that we can rub and, and he can spring out and grant our every wish, or even like the power of position or money or, 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 um, that is here today and gone to, tomorrow. But it's the power of God which is the Alpha and the Omega, which is the beginning and the end. It's the power of God who is enough, who is immeasurably great, who is more than we can ask or imagine, who has authority, who is above every name that dominates the world stage, who has defeated the power and the fear of death. It's the power of God which is available to all who believe, we're told in Ephesians. And so the challenge for all of us this morning is to actually live in the hope and the reality of the power of who God is. This God whom we can know, whom we can have our hope in, who has given us this glorious inheritance. It's this power, this God, who has the power to change our situations and our reality. 
It's this God who is the head of the church, the head of the church in Scotland and the worldwide church and us here at P's and G's. It's this God who has the power to change our workplaces. It's this God who has the power over things that bind you and your family and your friends and the people that you spend your lives with. It's this God who has the power to bind loneliness and fear and depression and relationship issues. And it's this God who has the power to use us to bring about his purposes in society. And it's this God who has the power to fill us with his spirit and give his people the gifts and passions that we need to challenge the moral and ethical uh, situations and direction of our world today. And it's this God whose power is greater than Trump. It's this God who is, has power that is greater than May or Putin or the UN or the SNP or Parliament or ISIS or any of the big corporations like BP or Apple or um, the RBS. It's this power that's greater than your boss or your colleague. In fact, any individuals, organisations, principalities and powers that appear to dominate or proliferate power in our lives. We need to have our eyes, our hearts, our ears, our whole being open to the possibility of who God is and what he can do in our lives and what he can do in this church and what he can do in our world today. Is your, is my God big enough? Is our vision of God big enough? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.